0: you're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. Karen Baker Fletcher, she writes, if Jesus is on the side of the least, as Matthew 25 suggests, and womanist liberation theologians emphasize, then this includes even the earth. It too is hungry for nourishment. It too is increasingly impoverished. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 221 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast, where we engage the intersection of faith and social justice, and we look at what a first-century Jewish prophet of the poor might offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. Our title this week is The Parable of the Uninvited Dinner Guests, and our feature text is Sayings Gospel Q14, 16-21, through and 23, a certain person prepared a large dinner and invited many, and he sent out his slave at the time of the dinner to say to the invited did come, for it is now ready. One declined because of his farm, another declined because of his business, and the slave on coming said these things to his master. Then the householder, enraged, said to his slave, Go out on the roads, and whomever you find, invite, so that my house may be filled. Our companion text in Matthew 22, 2-3, through three, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Matthew 22, 5, But they paid no attention and went off one to his field and another to his business, and in verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find, so that the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with the guests. Uh, more feature text: Luke fourteen sixteen through 19 Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it, please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And in verse twenty one, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then one owner of the house then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind blind, and the lame. In verse twenty three, then the master told his servant go out on the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The Gospel of Thomas 64, this is our last feature text. Jesus says a person had guests, and when he had prepared the dinner, he sent his servant so that he might invite the guests. He came to uh, to the first and said to him, "My master invites you." He said, "I have bills for some merchants. They are coming to me this evening. I'll go and give instructions to them. Excuse me from the dinner." He came to another and said to him, "My master has invited you." He said to him, "I have bought a house, and I have been called away for a day. I will not have time." He went to another and said to him, "My master invites you." But he said to him, "My friend is going to marry, and I am the one who is going to prepare the meal. I will not be able to come. Excuse excuse me from the dinner." He he came up to another and said to him, My master invites you. And he said, I have bought a village. Since I'm going to collect the rent, I will not be able to come. Excuse me. The servant went away and said to his master, Those whom you invited to the dinner have asked to be excused. The master said to a servant, Go out on the roads and bring back whomever you find so that they may have dinner. Dealers and merchants will not enter the places of my father. And as we stated before, I'm going to give you a link to where we've covered this in the past. Um, even though Luke sums up Jesus's gospel in Luke four eighteen uh, with the phrase to set the oppressed free," this week's saying again presents one of the challenges with elevating Jesus's and and, and his teachings. Uh, for our society today. And that challenge is the normalization of slavery. Jesus never spoke one word against slavery. And in fact, as we're, we'll see this week, he uses the institution of slavery in his own stories. And this has been used by Christians in the U.S. to justify Christians holding tight to slavery, especially in the South. And uh, the book that we um, had in our annual reading course uh, two months ago now, The Civil War is a Theological Crisis by Mark Knoll, is an excellent read if you'd like to see more examples of that. It's also interesting to note what appears to be an attempt at the softening of slave to the word servant from the, the Q text to the more modern translations of the Gospels, including the Gospel of Thomas. But, but regardless of how someone explains Jesus' references to slavery or servanthood, the reality still remains Uh, an enslavement culture is at the heart of some of Jesus's strongest parables about a new social order. And we have to be honest about how problematic this has been and and how problematic it continues to be. Also, Matthew and Luke, they use this week's saying differently. And we'll begin with Luke, and then we'll look at how Matthew frames it. Let's talk about inclusivity first. One of Luke's burdens, which we see in Acts, is to explain how a community that began as a Jewish poor people's movement came to be so populated by Gentiles. And and Luke places this week's saying in the context of the banquet of the kingdom of God. And we discussed popular views of this banquet in the 1st century in both Galilee and Judea a couple weeks ago. I'll give you a link to that in the east side. But in Luke's version of the Jesus story, Jesus challenged the more exclusive interpretations of the eschatological banquet. Uh, these, These were interpretations where purity standards in that culture prevented some from being allowed to even sit at the table. And Jesus had just stated In Luke 14, 12-13, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous and, and someone at the, at, in this context in this story offended by what they interpreted as Jesus' reckless inclusion and abandonment of of the cultural purity taboos uh, of that day they respond by objecting blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of god and, and for those who held the more exclusive interpretation of this feast or this banquet those who would be specifically excluded from the feast would be the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind. these are the ones that would not be allowed at at, at the uh, festival table. and And while some would have had the least honorable seats at the table, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, they wouldn't have been invited at all as some believed that their their actual state was the result of their transgression. Jesus then responds by telling the story in Luke 14 that includes, this week's saying and Jesus' story is of a it's of a householder who simply wants his house to be full. He doesn't lower the purity standards. He completely ignores them. He he invites, uh, he he welcomes, and basically he he effectively affirms all those who would have been excluded under the more selective interpretation. And the motive of the householder is what Luke places in the forefront. It's first and foremost. It's a house that's full. Um, A full house is the priority uh, of the householder. That's his number one motive. And everyone is invited. If someone's not there, uh, the onus is on those invited, not uh, uh, rumors of exclusiveness on the part of the householder. He simply wants his house full. He wants a full house. House and and let's talk about Matthew now and connectedness and equality because Matthew adds much more uh, to this saying than Luke does. Matthew's story includes two elements, the the king's rage, um, as well as the guest's refusal to be identified with everyone else at the banquet. And we'll discuss the second item first. Matthew's story ends, and this is chapter 22, 9 through 13. So go into the street corners, and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see see the guest, he noticed a man there who was... Not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this parable, it makes no sense if the attire for the banquet was not included with the invitation. How can the host invite? all the people they could find, quote unquote, so that the hall could be filled with guests and then get upset that someone in there was not wearing the proper atti- proper attire, um, if such attire was not also provided for them. Did did the host really think that everyone they found on the streets, even the the poor and the barely scratching by artisans, that they would have fine clothing for a wedding banquet of the wealthy in that culture. And and I'll freely admit that that this is taking an interpretive liberty, but let's assume for a moment that attire was provided as an option for those who, who needed such, so that no matter how poor you were, you had no excuse not to attend. And if, if that's the case, that gives us an entirely different ending. Who's the, the, the parable being told to in Matthew? And this whole cluster of parables is aimed at the chief priests and the Pharisees in Matthew 21, 45, and, and specifically the political place of privilege that, that each of those held. And in the story, someone here is refusing to wear uh, clothing that's appropriate for the event. And whether this is a a wealthy person refusing to be associated with the poor or even the poor refusing to be seen alongside of the exploitative rich, it could go both ways. It's a show of arrogance or separateness. It's possibly an expression of one's exceptionalism. Um, maybe it's in protest to the inclusion of those he feels are other or or are beneath him. but, but for him to don the same attire as everyone else would be to, to intimate that there's no difference at, at least at this banquet between himself and those that he feels, should not be present and he's he's better than the others around him here and and he will not be included on their same level and for for him this is a rejection of the reality that we are all interconnected we're all connected to one another we're part of one another we're not as separate uh, from one another as we often think we we some have said we share each other's fate But I think, in fact, we are each other's fate. It could be that because of this guest's desire to be seen as separate or reluctantly participating, kind of dragging his feet, I'll go, but I won't wear clothes like everyone else, um, his reluctance to, to, to participate with everyone else, that the host so angrily responds, His lack of attire. The context, remember, is the eschatological banquet that some people in Galilee and Judea believed symbolized uh, what would mark the distinction, the the transition between this age of violence and injustice and oppression and the coming age where it was believed that all injustice, all violence, and all oppression would be put right. And this new age, in Jesus' worldview, is egalitarian. Everyone receives what is distributively just, and 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 no one has too much, and no one has too little. We're all we all together, uh, we all have enough. So so garments could have been justly distributed, making everyone equal. But if a person has spent their life work um, working to be first, or, or, uh, few things would have been worse than to be faced with a world of equity and equality. Um thrown into the being thrown into the same group with, with everyone else. There were those in Jesus's uh, audience who believed they were better. They were chosen, they were extraordinary, or they were exceptional. Uh, they're not like everyone else. and and they refuse in the story to to embrace humanity's connectedness, our connectedness to one another. And whether we acknowledge the truth of our reality, our connectedness or not, We're already in this together. Those who choose the path of exclusion, as we've covered before, are themselves eventually excluded from a world that's being put right through inclusive egalitarianism. And as we discussed also previously, exclusionary thinking, it's a self-fulfilling ethic. Uh, Those who want to be excluded, if he wants to be separate from everyone at the banquet, he ultimately gets what he chose. He's thrown out into outer darkness, separated from those at the banquet. And again, um, when you see who's welcomed and affirmed, this was the point Jesus is trying to make. When you see how wrong you were about those that you thought should be forbidden from attending the same banquet with you, it's going to make you so angry. And and this is the gnashing of teeth that Jesus and Luke describe, and you can find it also in Acts 7.54. It's just this, where you grind your teeth, you're so angry at those who are at the wedding festival alongside of you. So So if any end up in outer darkness the story seems to indicate that it won't be because they could not accept their own invitation. It'll be because they could not accept the inclusion or the invitation or the equal affirmation of those that they felt should be excluded. Let's talk about also the king's rage here at the end. Matthew includes the historic treatment of Hebrew social prophets. And as I shared last year, I'll put a link to this east side as well. In the Jewish tradition, the role of a prophet— was to be a sort of gadfly for those at the top of the Jewish domination system, both priests and kings. And the common thread in their work was a call for justice for the oppressed, justice for the marginalized, for the vulnerable, for the exploited. And the clearest examples of this this focus by the prophets is, is Amos. Hebrew prophets were not prognosticators. They weren't predicting the future. Instead, they they cast an imaginative vision of a future where all violence, all injustice, all oppression are put right. And these prophets, they were often rejected and excluded by those in power. Matthew's Jesus story locates both John the Baptist. And Jesus and this tradition of prophets who are silenced by execution, and and I would note too that that in this tradition, Jesus's execution is not unique. It's not hard to explain execution as the response of those in power to those who critique and speak truth to power. It's not anything new. It's nothing new. It's nothing strange. And nor is it peculiar to one's culture. It happens all the time in every culture. It was not too long ago in our own culture that Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Dr. John F. and Robert Kennedy, uh, that were all assassinated within the same five years. And it's this treatment of the Hebrew prophets including John and and, and Jesus, that I believe Matthew is is using to explain to his community and and perhaps even make sense to himself, uh, like Jeremiah of old, how such a catastrophe could have befallen Jerusalem in his lifetime. People explain tragedy differently. People try to make sense out of our suffering differently. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew assumes that if the outcry against social injustice would have been heeded, the Jewish poor people's revolt, the Jewish-Roman war, and the raising of Jerusalem itself, he believes it could have possibly been avoided. In Matthew 22, 4-7, through it says, Then he sent some of his servants and said to those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And what I would be quick to point out in Matthew's uh, story here is Matthew's use of the plural, them. Matthew was a Jewish Jesus follower, trying to to make sense of his entire world coming to an end as he had known it. Um, But even then which I think is important to distinguish this from from many Christian supersessionists, Matthew didn't isolate Jesus' rejection as the individual, as the sole reason for the events of 70 CE and the destruction of Jerusalem. Matthew, remember, he wasn't a Christian blaming the Jews for their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. Matthew included the rejection of Jesus with the the rejection of John and a long list of many servants from Amos, Jeremiah, Micah, Isaiah, Hosea, all the way back. Um, in other words, uh, Jesus's rejection was not unique to Matthew, but a part of a much longer trajectory. And Ched Myers, in his book, a book that Walter Wink states is quite simply the most important commentary on a book of scripture since Barth's Romans. He reminds us, and this is in uh, Ched Meyer's book, Binding the Strongman, a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus. Um, He reminds us of this prophetic script, the script that all the prophets um, uh, uh, lived by. The true prophets are not identified by proof of miraculous signs, but by their stand on the side of the poor pressing a covenantal suit against the exploitative shepherds of Israel. From Elijah to Jeremiah, the result is always the same, opposition from the ruling class and a threat to the prophet's life. And Matthew's use of of this week's saying seems to be indicating that once again, now in the life of Jesus, the prophetic script has been fulfilled in, in in human society. And today we have to ask, which voices are we refusing to listen to? Which voices are, are we not heeding? Who who are we in our stubbornness ignoring? Who, who by our rejection or not listening to, uh, who could that, like in 70 CE for Jerusalem, wipe out everything for everybody? There are many voices that come to mind for me, but at the top of my list... Uh, I think of those who are seeking to raise our consciousness about the connection between corporatism and the climate changes that threaten humanity's continued existence. And Karen Baker Fletcher, in her book, she's a womanist theologian, and she co-authored the book My Sister, My Brother, Womanist and Exodus God Talk. She writes, if Jesus is on the side of the least, as Matthew 25 suggests, and womanist liberation theologians emphasize, then this includes even the earth. It, too, is hungry for nourishment. It, too is increasingly impoverished. And two weeks ago now, I, I caught an insightful interview of Naomi Klein on what she feels, um, many on both sides of the political debate about climate change are refusing to acknowledge as we look at our planet's future. And again, we have a choice whether to refuse or whether to embrace our connectedness, whether we acknowledge the truth of our reality or, or whether we don't. We we are already all of us in this together. And we as a whole, will we will Survive, or we will all together face the results. And there's much to be gleaned in this week's saying. I mean, again, there's inclusivity, there's um, uh, equality, there's uh, connectedness, all of that. There's much that we could we could glean uh, uh, from from this week's saying. But uh, first and foremost, as we close, um, it's it would do well for us to to stop and consider whose voices that. Uh, we are being reminded to pay attention to this week. Sings Gospel Q 14, 16 through 21. A certain person prepared a large dinner and invited many, and he sent his slave at, a time of the, at the time of the dinner to say to the invited, Come, for now it is ready. One declined because of his farm, another declined because of his business, and the slave on coming said these things to his master. Then the householder enraged said to his slave, Go out on the roads, and whomever you find, invite so that my house may be filled. Heart group application this week. Uh, Before your group meets next week, I want you to write down three things that speak to you either in Luke or Matthew's use of our saying. You can even do Thomas if you'd like. I actually like how Thomas uh, does a little bit of economic uh, play there where he talks about, it's actually the, 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 the dealers and the merchants who, who, uh, will not have a place in, in, in the new world. Um, but, but, but what I want you to do is write down why do these things, uh, these three things, why do they resonate with you and what do they mean to you? And then number three, when you do come together next week, take some time to go around the room and share with each other what this week's saying is, is saying to you, and what the implications could be for your heart group as a whole. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever this finds you, keep engaging in the in the work of love, in the work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, transformation, on our way toward thriving. And remember, we are in this together. Also, don't forget to check out our new 5251 project. Uh, we're, we're launching it this August um, on our, in our news website or our website on our news page. Uh, we've launched a, a, a new Uh, the new event that's coming up on August 4 and 5 in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us on Eventbrite as well. It's called The Sayings of Jesus, The Intersection of Faith and Social Justice. Um, You can also go to our bit.ly link at bit. L Y forward slash R H M five hundred twenty five one. And you can find out more about why we're launching this new weekend or these new weekend events and how we're doing it around the country and also how you how you can help make these events happen. And and best of all, you can find out how you can have us come uh, to teach in your area, too. Remember, I love each one of you dearly. Thank you so much for checking in with us. I'll see you next week.